0: Here is the news that I want to present to you. You read it in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation. No condemnation. None. Not one sliver of condemnation. No remainder of condemnation. You're not to stick with, well, I'll keep 5%. No. No condemnation whatever to those who are in Christ Jesus, if this doesn't thrill you, if this doesn't get you excited, if you read that and go, okay, then something's wrong. This should thrill you. If it doesn't, then you don't realize what condemnation is and what it means. You don't know how bad off you really were, what danger, what peril you were in or you've never felt the full brunt of your sinful heart. So what is condemnation? To declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation. It's when the jury comes and says, guilty of all charges, guilty. It is to judge as being unfit for use, or consumption. You know, when a food is condemned, you don't touch it. It is to be under the penalty or the sentence of the court, which is death. Now, as Paul has been going through this gospel of Romans, he has proved that all men, all men are under condemnation. In Romans 1, he told us that the obvious sinner is under condemnation. Now, we can kind of get that. You can look at some people and go, man, you are so condemned. You know, and it's just. But he also tells us in Romans 2 that the upright and moral person is condemned. Because he's not upright enough. He's not moral enough. And inside his heart, he's not moral. It's a facade. Then he tells us too in Romans 2 and 3 that the religious person is condemned because he is seeking acceptance by his religiosity, by his outwardness, and not with his heart. And even religion, the best I can do, cannot get me the righteousness that satisfies the righteous requirement of the law. We're told in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one has reached the righteous requirement of the law but Jesus Christ. You know, Paul recognized that we needed to feel the deficit before we would appreciate the gift. Isn't that how we are? I mean, I never appreciate food like when I'm on a diet. (laughs) That's when I'm like, you know, I want food. Or I never appreciate warmth until I'm cold. And I never appreciate cold until I'm hot. You know how that is? We just go through life like, yeah, entitled, I'm entitled, I'm entitled. Like all these things come naturally. And sometimes we need to feel the deficit. We need to feel where we really are before we'll appreciate the gift. I believe that's why God let Adam name all the animals before he gave him the woman. Because otherwise it would have been like, hmm. He needed to feel the emptiness, the deficit, so that when God took that rib and created woman, he'd look over and go, whoa. Whoa, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's call you woman. And we need to feel the deficit at times. We need to feel that condemnation that we were all under. Why were men condemned? Why were we under condemnation? Well, first of all, we were under condemnation just as way of review, so we'll feel it. So I want you to feel really bad right now. You were under condemnation because of Adam. Remember, he sold us under sin. He stole from the tree that God told him, this is my tree, the rest of the trees are yours. You can eat freely because I'm giving them to you. But this one is my tree. Don't take. And Adam not only obeyed the devil, but he stole from God. And in stealing, he incurred a debt that was so great that he could not pay it. So he did what men would continue to do. He sold his children into slavery to pay his debt off. Man is condemned also because of his own moral failure. Because, as Jesus said in John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, often we, we, you know, like, that Eve, you know, she made my life so hard. But you know what? We've all done the Eve thing. If we were in the garden, you know, it might have taken us uh, more time or less time to eat that fruit. We have all sinned. We've all proven our own moral failure. But condemnation is not just the sentence. It's a feeling. You know, it's that feeling of absolute guilt. I deserve this. I think I shared this with you before, but when I was in college, my first year of college, um, I... Uh, I had bulimia. I I don't think bulimia is something that you have as much as something you do. But it, it was my way of compensation and I would glut myself. I mean, I would glut myself. One time I wrote all the things down that I ate in one day and it was sick. And I would just glut myself till I was absolutely miserable. And then along with a lot of other girls, we would go in the bathroom and we would stick our fingers down our throats and we would force ourselves to throw up. And I remember being in abject pain, just in misery in the bathroom. It was just, I was in pain, I was miserable. And I was saying to myself, You stupid, gluttonous, you know, ugly fat girl, you deserve all of the pain you're feeling right now. You did this to yourself. And when those condemning thoughts, would come to me, I didn't say, oh no, I'm Cheryl. No, I was like, oh yeah, I deserve it. And I I went around feeling this, this abject condemnation of how can I do this? And I would resolve, I would swear to myself that I would not glut and I would diet for a good hour. I would be good for a good hour. And then my roommate would bring something in because she had this issue too. And there we were just, and, and it was that thing, well, I've already eaten that thing that I shouldn't eat. So I'm gonna eat all I can. And then tomorrow I'll diet. And it was this cycle that was horrific and it was taking me down. And the condemnation, the constant condemnation, the hiding, I remember just wanting to hide in my room and not to go out. And I remember like the hiding in the clothes, buying these huge clothes. And my mom would be like, why are you dressing like this? And it was because I was trying to, to cover my, my eating habits. I didn't want my mom to know. I remember being going on a vacation with them and my mom buying a cake and going to the refrigerator and opening it up and going, Cheryl, There was a cake in here last night. I ate a whole cake all by myself. That's how bad my problem was. I mean, it was bad. And my mom looked at me and said, you've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And then she made it her problem, put me on a diet and made me run every day. And she, she did help me, but it was like that condemnation kept throwing me back into that place. There is nothing worse than knowing your own guilt And knowing that you deserve the punishment. You know, we deserve every accusation of the devil. One of the problems is when the devil comes at us, so many of the things he says are true, aren't they? You know, we did sin. We did say that stupid thing. We did do that ugly thing. That wasn't nice. That was reprehensible. And we know that we deserve to allow him to yell at us. Our flesh deserves that it's that sense of the compounded guilt of all the wrong things we have said, we have done, or we have thought about doing. You know, sometimes people go, you did this. And I'm like, no, I didn't. But in my heart, I'm going, but I thought about it. You know, like, you, know, you said something about that person. I'm like, no, I didn't. I was thinking those things. Have you ever had that? Oh, yes, you have. You know, I'm not going down alone. Every person is, who is living is guilty before God. As it says in Romans 3.10, and he's quoting Psalm five 7, five 9, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were totally incapable of saving ourselves. You know, there are those who believe their good works can outweigh their bad works. Well, they can't. We have so many more bad works than we have good works. It's like, you know, 100 to 1. Well, there's one good work, but there's these 100 things that you did wrong that that one good work can't make up for. The scale is so off. The law couldn't save us. The law couldn't save it because we couldn't keep the law. It was weak because we're weak. We were in the prison of our own sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So we were condemned outwardly. We were condemned inwardly. We were condemned corporately and individually, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This was our condition. And until we realize our former condition, that we deserved condemnation, that we were under condemnation, And we feel that shame of that condemnation and the hopelessness of escaping that condemnation. We will not really thrill at the glorious truth that there is therefore no condemnation, no shred, no iota of condemnation, not because we deserve it, but because He took our full sentence, Jesus took every bit of the condemnation we deserved. He took the condemnation for my gluttony. He took the condemnation for my condemnation, for all the mean things I said to myself. He took it all. This amazing truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus should thrill you should absolutely get you so excited. You were thoroughly evil. Your thoughts apart from Christ were heading downward. You were deluded into thinking you could live a good enough life. Deluded people never realize how in trouble they are. You ask an addict, are you okay? I'm fine, leave me alone. This is my problem, not yours. I'm gonna be fine, I can help myself. And they don't realize that they're on a slow road to suicide. You could never atone or pay for your own sins. Your debt was greater than you realized. But when you get a clear picture of that, when you're aware of your true nature and the unsavory thoughts that you have entertained, the ugly words you have spoken, the bad things you have done, and the good things you haven't done, the natural reaction at there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus is to be absolutely thrilled. I am off the hook. I Yay! am. <laughs> Thank you. I am saved. I am all right. It is well. It is well between God and I. There's nothing blocking me from a relationship with God, my father, nothing. The gospel tells you that you are more wicked and vile than you ever imagined. All of you, wicked, vile, more than you ever want to think about yourself. But at the same time, you are more loved, more affirmed, and more wanted than you could ever dream. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. This truth, when you understand it, it literally changes everything. It changes the way you look at yourself. It changes the way you look at others. It changes the way you feel about the world even and how you live. In Romans 8, 1 through 17, Paul begins to explore the ramifications of what this phrase, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus means. And he begins with what it means externally, what has been done for us. He moves then to what it means internally, what is now going on within our minds and our hearts. And then he goes on to explain what this means eternally, forever and ever and ever, from this day forward, what this means. Let's begin with externally, Romans 8, 1 through 4. It means that I no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It means that I am free from the law that condemned me. I was under the law of sin and death. That was the former law I lived under. And it's a very simple law you sin, you die. That's it. You sin, you die. All sin leads to death. That's the law. There were no exemptions, no exceptions, and no excuses. You sin, you die. As it said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's it. No excuses, no exemptions. But Jesus applied a greater law to us. And that law is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He brought out the greater law, the greatest law. This law states that if a righteous man fulfills the righteous requirement of the law, he is free to apply his righteousness to another And that's what Jesus has done for us. He has lived the righteous life we could not live. In Isaiah it says, behold my servant, he shall take my law and make it glorious. Jesus lived according and under the law of Moses and he did it as it was meant to be lived. He lived it. He lived absolutely righteously. He was sent by God in the likeness of human flesh. He lived in a human body. I think this is so interesting because Jesus never isolated himself and lived like in a monastery. You know, like, oh, I'll be away from everything that tempts me. Jesus lived among men, sinful, pressuring men. In fact, at one point he told the disciples, you need to keep a boat ready for me on the Galilee lest the people crush me. He lived among men that were crushing him with their needs and their desires. He lived and yet he maintained, he retained his righteousness. He lived in a body subject to the same weaknesses as our own. And yet he never sinned in thought, in word or deed He fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law for us. He neither committed any wrong, but he never omitted any right. He was absolutely righteous. He never committed sin, but he also always did what was right. And by his righteous life, dying on the cross, when death had no hold on him, had no right to him, because death's only power is because of sin. Death's only rights are because of sin. Death can only put those who have sinned to death. It had no grip on Jesus. So what happened? Sin sinned. Sin committed sin when it put the righteous Jesus on the cross and the curse was undone and the law of life in Christ Jesus was brought to light because he is life and he is light and in him is no darkness at all there was no cause for death in him death had no right to him And so when he gave himself willingly to death, death was undone and sin was condemned. Sin became condemned that we might not be condemned, that we might have the righteousness of Jesus Christ applied to us. What else took place? He took the wrath of God, the penalty against sin for us. In Matthew 23 27, Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, one who kills the prophets and stones the one sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Think about this picture. Jesus spreads out his wings. J. Vernon McGee tells the story of, of being at a farmer's house and this. Chicken began to cluck. I can't cluck, but it clucked. And, and the chicks, recognizing her clucking, they all went to her and she spread out her wings and she put them out because there was a hawk overhead. And the hawk wanted the chicks and instead it attacked the mother hen. But the chicks were protected under the mother hen as the mother hen took the wrath of the hawk upon herself in order to protect her chicks. So Jesus took the wrath of God against sin and covered us with his wings. This was his desire to take our punishment, to take our condemnation. That those in Christ Jesus, those under the wings would not feel the talons of the hawk that the hawk could not take us but we are safe in Jesus Christ remember that story in Exodus where the lamb had to be sacrificed and the blood was put on the lintel of the door and only those in that house were safe from death only those whose house was covered by the blood of the lamb were spared from death. So it is only those in Christ Jesus escape condemnation. It is those who run beneath these covering wings, those are who are in the house where the blood is applied to the doorpost, that feel no condemnation that experience no condemnation. Those are the ones upon whom condemnation has no power, no voice. There is therefore no more condemnation because of the life, because of the law of life in Christ Jesus. Internally, what is going on internally? Well, verses five through eight tell us what's going on internally. He has changed the way we think. He has changed the the things in our mind. The, the, The objects in our mind have changed. He's taken out the old objects, the things that used to fill our mind, the things that we used to always be thinking about. And he has put new thoughts a new direction for our thoughts in our minds. Previously, our thoughts were all about our flesh. We were carnally minded. That was just the way we thought. And our thoughts went like this, self-preserving thoughts. Everything was, how can I save Cheryl? How can Cheryl come out of this still smelling good, looking good, How can Cheryl get out of this? They were self-indulging. What does Cheryl get out of this? How can I enhance Cheryl? How can, makes you really not like Cheryl, huh? How can I, you know, make Cheryl, you know, give Cheryl all she wants? They were self-pleasing. What does Cheryl want? How can Cheryl be happy? And everything was about making Cheryl happy and indulging Cheryl and preserving Cheryl. And that thinking pattern was leading Cheryl right to death. That's where it was heading. You know, honestly, if I lived, according to self-preservation, self-indulgence, and self-pleasing, I'll tell you what I would do, and I think I've shared this with you before. I would sit in my bathtub and eat Krispy Kremes and watch Betty Davis movies. Seriously, it, it would be the most unhealthy thing for me to do whatever I wanted. I mean, really, because if I did what I wanted, then I wouldn't be able to do the other things I wanted because I'd be all shriveled up, right, you know? And I wouldn't be clothed. But you know, it's, it's not, that's, but that's where we were before. And it was leading to death. The old mindset could not please God in any way. It it couldn't do anything to please God. Why? Because it was set at enmity. We were on two opposing sides. What God wanted was totally different than what my flesh wanted. And we were going different directions. God wanted his will done in my life and I wanted Cheryl's will done in my life. And they were opposing Opposing. God was saying, Walk this way, and I was saying, I'm going to walk this way. You know, I would say warm, he'd, I'd say, he'd say warm, and I'd say cold. We were on opposite sides. And we're told not only were we at enmity against God, we were at war with God. We were not subject to the laws of God. You know, there was nothing putting us under what God really wanted. We were free to disobey before and just to do whatever we wanted. And we couldn't be subject to the law of God. Even when we tried to do the law of God, it was impossible. It wasn't just that we were unwilling, but we were incapable. We just couldn't do it. Even when we recognized that the law was just and righteous, we still couldn't do it. Even if we will to do it, even if we wanted to do it, we couldn't do it before because we were not in Christ. Now, by the removal of condemnation in Christ Jesus, our thoughts have changed. We have spiritual thoughts, as it says, those who live according to the Spirit are led by the Spirit. We're now thinking about the things that the Spirit puts into our heart and mind. It's the removal of condemnation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The old tenants have moved out and the new tenant, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life has moved in. And so now we think about things like who God is, what God has done for us, the promises of God, how we can live for God, how we can bless God, not our flesh, It's no longer when we look at a situation, well, I want to do this. It's, Lord, what do you want me to do? We're now seeking his direction. Lord, what do you have for me? How we think has changed. It's not only what we think about has changed, but how we think has changed. Our old thoughts were guided by self-centered motives, but our new thoughts are guarded (laughs) guided by the spirit because the spirit of God dwells in us. He lives in us. It's no longer seeking God outside, trying to find him and what he wants, but the spirit himself lives in us and speaks to us and leads us. So when we start in the wrong direction, uh, 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 uh you don't want to go that way. I don't. No, that's not the way of life. It's not. No. Don't you want life? Yeah. Don't you want your Abba Daddy? Yeah. He dwells in us. The direction of our thoughts is changed. Verse six: We no longer have thoughts that lead to death, slow suicide, bathtubs, Betty Davis, Krispy Kremes, but we have thoughts that lead to life, abundant life, greater life. And thoughts that lead to peace, (gasps) rest, rest. You know, condemnation. When you know you're guilty, isn't it the worst? Like when you know you should apologize to your husband and you can't. Not like I went through that this week at all. I mean, who is this one night and the Lord's like, you could apologize. I'm like, I want him to. The Lord's like, yes, but you could. I know but then I feel like I'd have to think something up. I was so guilty, but so was he. I wanted to go down together. You know, you apologize, I'll apologize. And we just sat there, like same room, not apologizing. That's what we did. And I'm thinking, we have to speak at the couples retreat. He really needs to apologize. And there we were on opposing councils. And I know that the Bible says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, but we watched that thing set. (laughs) And then we went to bed, not speaking. And then this is what I do. It's so bad. In the morning I go, I know what was really wrong with you last night because I prayed for you. And he says, oh good, because I prayed for you and I know what was wrong with you too. <laughs> there was no peace. You know, you're only pretending to sleep. Like, I've got to look like I'm sleeping so he thinks that I'm the right one. <laughs> that condemnation. When the spirit is striving with you. You see, at one time, God was your enemy. Remember, you were at enmity with God. God was on the opposite side of you. And you had no peace. He was your enemy. But now that you're in Christ, God is not just your friend. We're going to get to what he is to you in this relationship. But let me tell you this. Before you were friends of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now you've got more enemies than you had before but you've got a more powerful ally than you've ever had. And those friends that you thought were friends, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they were condemning you, they were false friends, they were betraying you, they were trying to trip you up and they were leading you to death. But what are the eternal ramifications? We have life, we have peace now. But we also have eternal ramifications. Verse nine, what is the first eternal ramification? It's that the eternal Christ lives in us. God dwells in us. We now belong to God. The one who is life in himself lives in us. He who is the resurrection and the life now lives in us. As Jesus said in John 5, 26, I have life in myself. I am life and I give that life to whoever I want. The Father has deemed that I should have life in myself, even as he has life in himself. So the one who is eternal life, who cannot die now resides in us. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life lives in us. Our bodies are dead to sin. They're, they're dead. They don't feel the effects of sin anymore. We're not under that condemnation. But the spirit in us is living to righteousness. In verse 10, God is at work in us continually delivering us from the power of Of sin and making us righteous. Verse eleven, the eternal ramifications: our mortal bodies will be raised with Christ. Verse eleven, our mortal bodies. This corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. Things are going to move from to better to better to better. You know, in this body, I am aging. Things are hurting now that never hurt before. I move my hand and it hurts. I'm like, what is with that? I used to be able to move my hand freely. I turn and it's like, I don't know what I did to my neck. You know, it's like crazy. I used to feel no pain. Now I feel pain. I look in the mirror and I'm like, who is that old lady? And it's not like I'm gonna look younger tomorrow or in a week, or in two weeks. You know, when you're like 23, you'll go, well, I'll look better next week. And you will. When you're 55, you don't have that kind of hope. <laughs> you're going to be, you're like, next week I'll be like a week older. <laughs> those lines will be a little deeper. You know, the, I, I used to wear scotch tape across here at night just to get rid of those frown lines, you know, thinking, you know, in my sleep I'm frowning. You know, I just gave up. They, they want to be on my head. <laughs> they, they like their placement. They're like, let us alone. We feel more comfortable this way. So I'm, I'm just leaving them there. I'm not, I'm not striving with the scotch tape. Besides that, I'd always find it on my pillow anyway. <laughs> and then sometimes I'd forget I had it on and answer the door. There were all sorts of stories about my scotch tape. But you know what, if I looked in the mirror and thought this is it, this is all there is, I'll never be younger, I'll only get older, I'm just gonna go from more pain to more pain to more pain and then I die, oh, that's wonderful news. But when I look in the mirror and say, temporary, this is just temporary because this mortal's gonna put on immortality and this corruption will put on incorruption. And I'm being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. It's okay. It's okay because I have eternity. I have an eternity of of beauty and glory awaiting me because of Jesus Christ. My mortal body is going to put on immortality. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. What does that mean? It means that death becomes a porthole, a doorway into glory, greater life than we've ever known, an abundance of everything. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore and joy in his presence. According to verse 12, we've now become debtors to live in the spirit. We don't owe sin anything. We don't owe the devil anything. We owe the spirit of God everything. We owe God our life. I, I was thinking this week, I was reading in Mark where they give Jesus the coin and they're saying like, I mean, they say to Jesus, to whom should we pay taxes hoping to ensnare him? And he says, give me a coin. And he looks at it and he says, whose inscription? Whose image is that? And they're like, Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and to God the things that belong to God. You see, we used to belong to Caesar because we worship money. We used to belong to the devil. We used to belong to our flesh. We were under that. And we owed Caesar his due. But now God's image is, is, is being inscribed on us. His signature And now we owe to God what is God's. He has paid for us. And now we owe God everything. Our debt to sin is erased. And our new debt is to live in the spirit, verse 13. And so we are able to put the deeds of the body to death. We are able to say no to sin. Verse 14. We are now led by the spirit. The Spirit is now directing us. Yes, sometimes we go, "Um, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe he didn't do it a thousand times. God let you do it so you know that you have the propensity to do it. But the other thousand times he kept you from it. You see, the Spirit is keeping us from so much. He's leading us. He's directing us. And so we can just be led by the Spirit. And this is the best news of all, 15 through 17. We have become adopted children of God. We are now in a close relationship and association with God, whereby we call Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Aramaic word Daddy. It speaks of the most intimate relationship that is possible between a child and their father. That's what we have. You see, if we say, oh, I don't have any condemnation, I'm forgiven of sins, we're missing something. Because Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins, just to release us from a debt. He came to bring us into a relationship with the Father. He came to restore what was lost in the garden, that close fellowship. Because from the beginning, God created us for his pleasure. That we might have fellowship with him. But sin marred that fellowship. And condemnation followed sin. And we had this great blockage. Between us and God our father. But Jesus came and he dealt with everything. That was in the way of God blessing. God touching. God becoming our father. So it's about relationship. It's about God drawing you into the most intimate relationship possible. That of father to son. Why does it use the word son? I'm a girl. I'm a girl. I... My um grandson writer, when he was in kindergarten, he he had this friend named Michael. And Michael had this curly, long hair. And, you know, that was his number one friend. And he said, but mom, I don't know if he's a girl or a boy. <laughs> and Kristen said, "Writer, he's a boy. His name is Michael. Ryder was like, I don't know, mom. He's got long hair and he's pretty. <laughs> so one day... You know, Michael had hugged Ryder goodbye in kindergarten. Michael was walking off, and Ryder turned and said, Michael! Michael turns around and goes, Are you a boy or a girl? Really loudly. And Michael looked at Ryder and said, Ryder, I'm a boy! So why does the Lord, why does the Spirit, why does the Word of God say son? Because in the Roman times, it was a son that inherited. You see, you could be a biological son, but not the heir, not the adopted son. But adoption was when your father publicly associated with you And publicly proclaimed you as his heir and inheritor of all he had. So when the Bible is talking about son, it's not so much talking about a gender. It is talking about the position that we as believers now hold before God we are benefactors now of his favor benefactors of his wealth benefactors of his blessing as it says we are joint heirs with jesus you see jesus lived the righteous life we should live jesus died the death we deserved and jesus deserves all the blessings all the rewards of heaven for the righteous life he lived, for being a warrior, for the sacrifice of his life. But you know what he does? He brings us into a relationship with the Father, intimate relationship with the Father. And he says, All that belongs to me, I'm sharing with you. From the proclamation of being a son, to all the gifts, to all the benefits, To all that is mine, I give to you. As Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, I pray that these that you have given me might be with me in glory, that they might see the glory that I had with you before the world began. Jesus has asked that we be his co-heirs, that we receive his glory, that we be with him in glory eternally, eternally. Not just like for an hour, not just for a day, but forever and ever and ever. He has removed the condemnation that God might be our father, that we might be able to come to God boldly and say, Father, Father, Abba, Daddy, help, it's me. I was in the courtyard of Calvary. I was being stalked for over a year by a man. It was really scary. He even came to my college and grabbed me. That's another story for another day. It's an exciting one. You'll want to be here. (laughs) But I remember being out in the back in in the courtyard, and my dad's greeting people like he did every Sunday at this store. And I was off in the courtyard talking to friends, and this guy came up, and he grabbed me, and he tried to pull me off the campus. And I remember shouting, Dad! I didn't care that there's a congregation emptying out of Calvary. I'm being grant. And with all the chatter and with all the voices going on, my dad turned. He heard me. And he looked right at me. And that guy took off. My dad heard me. My dad saw me. Later on, he even threatened the guy that he'd tear him limb from limb if he ever touched me again. And then he told him I was getting married to a Golden Gloves boxer. (laughs) Daddy, Daddy, God hears you because he's your father. It doesn't matter the cacophony of sounds going on in this world. Your voice is heard in the throne room of heaven. When you say Abba, he says, honey, I'm here. What do you need? What do you want? Here are the riches of my grace. Here's my mercy. There's nothing in between us. You have bold entrance into the very throne room of your father. Not a master, not a tyrant, but your father is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Your father sits on the throne. Your father accepts you. Your father loves you. This is what it means that there's no condemnation. Eternally, eternally, God is now your father. He is your Abba. He hears your voice. He recognizes your voice. He listens to your voice. And he is ready to answer, and to come to your rescue constantly. And not only that, but the spirit that dwells in us is saying, it's true, it's true, it's true. God's your father. The spirit in you is bearing witness with your spirit that you are indeed now a son of God. You are right now, you have God as your father, Abba, that right now, all, all the benefits and blessings of heaven are yours. And your spirit is saying, yes, yes, yes. But not only that, eternally, we have a purpose in suffering. No longer is suffering the end, but suffering now is working for us. A greater weight of glory. Glory has weight. Glory has substance. And everything that we suffer on earth, we will receive excess and substance in heaven. This light affliction, which is momentary, that pain in my hand, that pain in my knee, that crick in my neck doesn't matter how big or how small, how big, that's, that's compared to eternity. It doesn't matter how big or how small it's working for me, an eternal weight of glory. God is working. He will make up for it. He sees every sacrifice you've made. And he says, that's a sacrifice, reward. That's a sacrifice, reward. That's a sacrifice, that's a reward. He wants to give you as many points as possible. When I taught school, I used to stamp teddy bears on these cards that the kids had. And if they got 10 teddy bears, they got a prize. And then if they got you know, 100 teddy bears, well, we moved into the hundreds place and you got a bigger prize. And I went to work on the reward system. And sometimes I'd be in the classroom and I'd be like, wait a second wait a second everyone's working so quietly oh my goodness (sighs) I owe everybody a teddy bear and I go around and I stamp a teddy bear on all these report cards and I start to go back to my desk and I'd be like no, 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 no it's just too quiet you're all being so good I gotta give you all an extra teddy bear and I go back and stamp another teddy bear that's what God's doing I see that. That's a, that's a good thing. Michael, you were honest. You told the truth. That happened in class because Michael usually lied. And you told the truth. Michael, you get five teddy bears for telling the truth. God's looking for excuses to give you rewards in heaven. Do you realize that? Every sacrifice, every pain, everything you do for Christ, everything you suffer. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to go, oh, why did I suffer more on earth? It's so worth it. It's so worth it. You know, we go to the castle in Austria every year and we have the missions retreat. Okay, we get those like missions prayer requests and they're usually like, save me, help me, pray for me. You get to the you get to the castle in Austria and when everyone's there fellowshipping and you're among all the saints, they get up and all they talk about is how good the Lord is and all the things the Lord has done. I'm like, wait, I thought you were dying. You know, I, I thought... You know, your friends blew up your car. They did, but God gave me a new car. You're like, seriously? You don't put that in your newsletter? But you know, this is the thing. When we get to glory and we're surrounded about glory, we're not gonna remember all those things, but God does. He's mindful of those things. And we will receive a great reward for whatever we suffer on earth. So from the beginning of creation, going back, God made man for his pleasure. Sin marred that relationship. Jesus became the sacrifice for that sin. And Jesus did this. That we might have a relationship with God as our Abba Father. He came to reconcile us to the Father. The uncondemned life is a life that is characterized by being in Christ Jesus, by recognition of what Christ has done, by the Spirit dwelling in us and changing even our thought patterns and our priorities, and by the eternal perspective of all that is ours, eternally, forever and ever, through Christ Jesus. This morning, I woke up, and I literally had the following words running through my head, And I felt like I needed to share them with you. So I'm going to close with this. This morning when I awoke upon my bed, I heard an old familiar voice. And this is what he said. Come to me and let's make a divine exchange. Give me all your weariness and I will give you my full range. Bring to me your measly loaves of bread. Put them in my hands so that a multitude might be fed. I know your fears and deficiencies, but I have galaxies of strength and will be all your sufficiency. Yes, I'll fulfill your needs in great excess. Remove your condemnation and dress you in my righteousness. So come now, commit all the burdens of your mind into my capable care and in their stead my grace now find. So I took all my conflicting fears I felt, gathered them all together, and at his knees I knelt. He's got such a great divine exchange, our condemnation for his eternal glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much, that you have taken away Every blockage between us and the Father, that you have removed our sins as far as the East is from the West, and you will remember them no more. Lord, that we are free to come to your throne room for everything we need, that you have brought glory literally to every arena of our life, that you have stamped victory on everything. And Lord, I pray that we would live in the glory of no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we would embrace it, that we would appreciate it, and that we would rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.